welcome to the show. I am Sal, and I'm joined today by Rom V. Welcome. First timer on the show, Rom. Thank you so much for being here, man. Yeah, real pleasure to be here. Um, I've heard very good things about the show from everyone you've chatted with, so so pleasure to be here as well. I'm happy to have you, man. I'm uh, scared about that reputation, because if I falter in any way, you're going to be like, well, as Chip said you were cool. What the hell, man? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're being you're being judged every every minute, every every sentence. I no. feel it. Yeah, uh, all those uh, rumors when you were in middle school about like you know, no, no one's no one's thinking about you. Guess what? <laughs> They're all false. They're all, they are listening. Uh, no, but yeah, but, I, uh, you know, we're talking comics. It's supposed to be fun and casual and and, and good times. So exactly, I'm, I'm looking forward to. It. Exactly. This is all uh, thanks to a, uh, a clandestine interaction between you and me. We've we've never really crossed paths in the past. Uh, no, although, no, yeah. I, I feel like there's definitely been a time at some convention where my wife went to your booth <laughs> because she was a big oh, fan of the new Swamp Thing. And, oh, great. Uh, and um, she was, yeah, so I'm sure she's she's interacted with you at, at some point in the past. But you and I uh, bumped into each other at New York Comic Con, which is the place to be, apparently, for that kind of thing. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. No, I, I so I only come out to the States maybe twice a year, uh, usually at San Diego and usually at New York. Um, I used to do other conventions as well. I was at ECC a few years ago. I've been to C2E2. Uh, but usually, but, you know, as time's gone by, I'm also like, I kind of want to spend time with the family at home. I don't want to be at conventions all the time. So totally. um, it just makes sense for me to do the two sort of big, everyone's there and I can talk to people conventions. Yeah. Um, but uh, I was on a, I was on a chat with, uh, with Robbie Billups on, on another, on his pop culture YouTube show and he was talking about, I'm going to get Heroes Con to invite you this year. So I'm like, yeah, great. If someone's inviting me, I, I'm, I will happily go along. Oh, absolutely. No, that is so much easier. Although I understand if you're flying in from international, you may need to get a work visa in order to come out here. For no, I have a I have a business visa. Oh, great. That lets me, that lets me come out there because I don't really work at conventions. Uh, I don't really because I'm a, I'm a writer. I don't really you know do commissions Table. or anything. Yeah. So I'm signing yeah, I table occasionally. I'm signing things. Um, and so I don't really do work, uh, <laughs> if you will. So Fair. So uh, my, intro my, my introduction to your work is a little more scattershot than uh, most because it's been like, I've heard your name. I've picked up a book that I was like, oh, Ron Vier wrote this one. But, uh, but I haven't like followed your career extensively. But I wanted to talk more about the beginnings of your career because I understand, as you refer to yourself, you're a writer. Um, comics kind of was a uh, uh, a sudden decision uh, for you because it was you, you had originally decided to write every anything. You were just like, I want to write. I, I mean, write I still novels, prose. Yeah, uh, yeah. And then uh, it was. I understand it was like a cousin of yours who suggested you do comics. And well, uh, he didn't. He, he didn't suggest I do comics. He just said like, Oh, your style of writing is very visual. Have you ever thought about writing comics? Yeah. Uh, and it was just a passing suggestion. And he was uh, studying to be a filmmaker at the time. And so I can understand, like, he was aware of the, the medium. And, and obviously, I was aware of it. I had read comics as a, as a kid. And uh, I had fallen in love with them again when I was about 19, 20. I moved to the States. And uh, I discovered Vertigo. I pretty much read pretty much <laughs> all, all, of of, all of Vertigo. Yeah. Um, and so... It was just like there was a switch in my head. I, w I hadn't thrown, someone had to just walk by and flip it. Uh, and as soon as that happened, I was like, yeah, why haven't I thought about making comics? 
Um, and about a couple of years after that, uh, I had moved to the UK to study creative writing. Um, and I had finished writing uh, a novel as part of that course. I had had a few short stories published as well. Um, and I said, cool, I'm going to put uh, a graphic novel together about Mumbai, which is where I, I, I was born and brought up. Um, and I said, but I want to do something weird. I want to take like 60s crime noir <laughs> as, a, as a medium and then look at Mumbai and then nix the crime and just make it like strange existential noir stories about Mumbai. Uh, and that's what I did. That that was kind of my first foray into into recognizable work, I suppose. Yeah, I, I noticed there's a trend in your work that uh, I I can easily identify a Ram V piece, and it's because it has this kind of grit that meets I want to call it magical realism, where there's this otherworldly element to it, but it doesn't. It's not like it doesn't hit your. It doesn't hit you over the head with it immediately. It's always right. this kind of thing where you're 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 exposed to something that you're familiar with genre based uh, when it comes to whether it's Batman or even Aquaman uh, Andromeda, where yeah. that turns into a like, kind of Lovecraftian horror thing pretty quickly since you only have three issues to work with. But, uh, right. you know, but it's it starts with a grounded piece of, of, of grit and then it turns into this kind of like this is the world we're in and in, like the world kind of turns on its side. And, and becomes yeah, I'm very interested in in tenuous realities. Right. Mm. Because I, like I feel that. like I feel like characters, at least when in my stories, I love it when characters start out feeling very sure about who they are and mm -hmm. what they are, and then about a quarter of the way through the story, you kind of shake the foundations of that character. And and usually when you shake foundations, that means you have to change something that people hold to be fundamentally true about themselves. And usually that connects to how we think about reality and um you know uh, uh so when you do that i think the more visual more tangible way to do it is to do that sort of maybe reality isn't thought you know what you thought it was going to be so there's a little bit of surrealism or a magical magical realism there yeah um and i find that to be yeah that's very much the kind of story i like telling as well and i like reading as well so i like the the idea that you're you're keying into where it's there is a uh, you're changing something fundamental about a person and as a result reality shifts as well because like reality is about perception it's about what we see yeah, and what yeah. we experience and you know it just so happens that uh, we could also put monsters or you know other ideologies yeah. in there that uh, that upset the balance of, of what we consider to be you know stationary and, and true uh, yeah and it does this wonderful thing like to me um when I when I was reading comics, when I said you know I fell in love with them a second time, yeah, that was that was largely through uh, the work of people like Neil Gaiman and Alan Moore, um, and I think the thing that was really wonderful about Neil's approach to to writing comic stories was that in his books you always had the sense of like oh if you turn the right corner or the wrong one depending on you could witness something that suddenly changes your perception of reality. Yes. So this kind of idea that there's magic behind every mundane corner, you just don't see it. You just don't know it. Yeah. Um, that idea is very fascinating because it suddenly makes, it makes grim things less grim and it makes whimsical things that much more portentous, if you will. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I love that. I love the idea of like, if only you dare to 
turn the corner. Yeah, just could... look behind the veil a little bit. Right. And you'll suddenly question the truth of everything. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I think that that approach, of course, informs a lot of your run. Although I uh, I find that your Catwoman run was uh, particularly, I, I feel like that was probably one of the most grounded <laughs> out of all the. Yeah, runs. yeah, yeah. And I do, and I and I do have very very grounded stories as well. Like I've done. Oh yeah. Graffiti's Wall that is also a very grounded slice of life story. So, um, if anything, I'm a very I'm a very scatterbrained person. <laughs> um, very, very low attention span when it comes to like, oh, that's fun, or oh, that's fun. Like every two seconds, uh, I will be looking at something new and shiny. Mm -hmm. um, and so, my interest in writing kind of tends to go the same way. I don't like to do the same kind of thing over and over. So, yeah, every time I go into a book, I'm like, okay, cool. What haven't I done that I really enjoy? And so I want to kind of try my hand at. And with Catwoman, my brain just went like, it's Catwoman. It's a thief. I should just do the Oceans movies as Catwoman stories. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was really and, – and I was kind of shocked that that aesthetic hadn't been hit upon before. Mm -hmm. um, whereas to me, I was like, that's obvious. That's what you do with every cat. So – Quite literally, and I'm quite happy about this, I think 90% of every Catwoman story I've done has just been heists. Yeah. Uh, so, which yeah. is like it, Which is fun to read. I imagine it's fun to write. Yeah. Uh, there's no complaints here about that, especially when it, like the conceit of Catwoman is, she's a thief, what's she going to do? Like every, yeah. every element of her life is a heist in some regard, uh, yeah. whether it's like pickpocketing, stealing a watch, or robbing a bank, or stealing a person. Uh, yeah, and then it has that sort of very smart aleck. Every character is a smart aleck. Yes. In some yes. way. Oh, and yeah, so especially in heist movies. Really, yeah, really, really fun to write that kind of dialogue where everyone mm. is razor sharp, everyone has wit, everyone <laughs> uh, is, is you know, insinuating stuff. Like, no one sentence is just saying what it means, you know? No. Yeah, which is which is in and of itself like a heightened reality, um, yeah. which which I which I always enjoy. I always like movies and comics that give me something that is reminiscent of reality, but turns up the volume. Yeah, I mean, if you think about the Soderbergh films as yes. well, the the Ocean's movies, because they are set in such surreal surroundings, like Vegas is in itself heightened reality, right? Exactly. Like like. I would even go so far as to say it's faked reality in, in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like, so both the first and the third Oceans movies were like that. And then the second Oceans movie is literally globe hopping through these gorgeous, beautiful locations all over the world. So again, this kind of unmoored, like everything is pretty, everything is beautiful, everything is fake yes. uh, kind of kind of reality to those movies. So. Um, yeah, you can you can do surrealism without actually having to to leave reality. Yeah. It's true. Do you? Um, I'm interested because I I've I actually don't know the whole the whole situation with uh, with your work on DC and in Marvel. Um, in terms of, do you get to pick what you want to do, or do they come to you and say, "Oh man, Just Like Dark, Rom V, that makes sense," or were you like? I have a Justly Dark story. I want to do that, or I have a Carnage book. I want to do. I mean, the the Black, White, and Blood issue you did was so 
different from a all the other stories that had come before it within the the, the, the concept, but also yeah. um, just in terms of the approach. I mean, that was essentially a like a like an Arctic horror story, and then you went with Carnage in it. <laughs> or yeah, Carnage. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, see, I didn't really start off doing work at DC and Marvel. Uh, right. I was already doing creator-owned work by the time I did my first DC story, and then I had already done a bunch of creator-owned stuff by the time Marvel got in touch. And so yeah. um, I always assume that people are getting in touch because they like what I have done before. Absolutely. Uh, and because this all came to me off of doing creator-owned work, my approach has always been yeah, that's what I do, and that's why you've hired me, so I'm going to do stuff like I do. Um, right. And so that has always been the approach. Um, but that's not to say, so So originally with DC, um, I did a Swamp Thing annual because James Tynan, who was working on Justice League Dark at the time, had read The Savage Shores, yeah. and he went, hey, I think uh, your work would fit really well with this story. Do you want to do an annual? And so I did. So it, it's also, you know, thanks and credit to editors and creators who read my work and went, we think you'll be a great fit for this. Um, and so Justice League Dark happened in a, in a similar way. James was moving on to do Batman. And so um, I, I had already done these sort of one shots on those books. And so I picked that up. Um, the Catwoman gig happened off of work I had done with Jamie Rich. Uh, I had sent him Black Mumba, uh, which is the noir book that I'd done, and he had enjoyed it. Uh, and it was right before he moved to the bat office. So when he did, he said, hey, do you want to come write some, you know, one shots for me? I said, oh, cool. I, I, can, I can write some Batman stories. Sure. Right. Um, and so that has always been the case. Um, even with Venom, uh, the editor at Marvel, Devin, got in touch um, saying that, hey, Al's got one half of a story and we'd like to, you know, we'd like for you to do the other half. Uh, and so that's always been the case. And and frankly, I, I think I work better as a writer, sort of exploring things that I'm interested in exploring, even with, you know, these these characters uh, at, the, at these companies, yeah. rather than me being asked to like plug into something that, it, that, that already exists. Because I think part of my brain is just always wired to go, what has nobody else done that I want mm -hmm. to do, you know? Yeah. Um, so because it's wired that way, that it's, it's a little bit antithetical to, to people coming and going like, cool, we've got this book. Do you want it? You know? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But that, that is how a lot of, uh, a lot of projects come together where I, I've yeah. heard, you know, like editors or whatever go, Oh, we, we, we would love to see someone tackle this character. We think you'd be perfect right. for it. Could you do that? You're more like, I have some idea here. Let me see if I yeah, can find an avenue to do it that way. And sometimes what happens is I'll go and say like, hey, I've got an idea for this character. And sometimes that character is so obscure that my editors will go like, what? Why? <laughs> Nobody's seen that character in I don't know how many decades. Yeah. Um, but I'm still excited about it because I've got a story to tell. Right. Um, and, and I think the, the benefit of stuff like that is obviously when I started out, I used to pitch things like that and, and editors were like, nah, that's not going to happen, buddy. <laughs> uh, and that was fair enough. But now over the years, since I've established a kind of like, look, I can do this and I have it, there's a certain expectation 
uh, when I when I write a book. Right. Now it's less of a risk to to let me do these kind of semi-obscure characters. Right. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of value in kind of sticking to your guns in terms of like, okay, I want to do this. Maybe not this year, maybe four years from now, but I still mm -hmm. want to do it. <laughs> is that uh, is that in some way how The Vigil came to be? Because uh, The Vigil was one of those stories or one of those miniseries that uh, I had heard about I think by issue three had dropped and people were like, are you reading the vigil? Because, oh my God. Right. Like it was one of those, like, no, vigil was a, uh, vigil was a very, very long labor of love much before I had started writing comics really? at all. Yeah. I have sketches for the vigil from like 2012 and 2013 <laughs> in my book. Um, it's an it's an idea and a concept that I'd had in my head for a very long time, largely because there's there are no Indian espionage stories in contemporary media. Yeah, and people don't understand, but that part of the world is such a political geopolitical hotbed, right? Like Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, China, uh, yeah. and the and the. At one point, I think close to 60% of the world's arms trade happened through the Northern Indian Corridor, illegal mm -hmm. arms trade. At one point, 80% of the world's opium trade happened through uh, the uh, Northern Corridor of India. And India has, a, has an intelligence agency called RAW, uh, RAW that, that operates in that area. And they are um, next to unheard of. Yeah. In, in most international circles. And I had a theory when I was when I was much younger, I would go, that's either because they are completely terrible at what they do, right. or they are very, very good at what they do. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, turns out they are exceptionally good at what they do. They don't do very good things. They don't do very nice things, but they're very good at what they do. And there's a lot of, um, I spent a lot of time talking to like, intelligence experts and XRAW people that, that I knew of in India. And there were all of these stories that I felt like, oh man, no, like if you could talk about this, this would make like a wonderful, wonderful story. Yeah. Uh, and so there was a part of me that had always wanted to write like espionage stories that, that had an Indian connection, if you will. And Vigil yeah. was kind of born out that way. Um, and then that piece really fit in well when Jessica Chen, who was editor at DC at the time, came to me and said, "Hey, look, we we have this initiative. We want to do, we want to introduce new characters with Asian roots um, into the DCU. Do you have anything of that sort?" And I went, "Wow, what? <laughs> here's a here's a hundred page file. No, um, <laughs> right, right. Here are my sketches. Here's my portfolio. Let's do this." <laughs> they're like, "Whoa, okay." <laughs> so I did, I did. So I, I pitched them that and. Obviously, the first question was like, okay, how does it tie into the DCU? And immediately my brain went, well, yes, of course it has to tie in. And it has to tie in via that sort of espionage vibe. But I didn't want to do a straight up like, you know, checkmate or or, or human League target of kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, I wanted my sort of, you know, untethered reality element to it. So we, we went the other obvious route, which was Wildstorm and Planetary and, and Authority and all of that. So um, I leaned into that angle and we came up with a 
new story that still had the bones of the old visual idea that, that uh, I had worked on. Um, but the, the amusing bit is like the visual elements, the, the mask on, on, on Saya, who you see up here, yes. um, and uh, the arc like costume, all of those things were my designs that, that I was like, here's a weird sketch from 2012 <laughs> to the artist, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. That actually, that, that I think that tethers it further. It makes it, it makes it more yours. It's like, this is, this is really something that I, that yeah, I, yeah, absolutely. I love yeah. that. Um, it's, there is a, uh, there's a curiosity I have. I'm just interested to know, and this is unrelated. I apologize, but, uh, uh, you wrote a quake book. Quake oh, you've done your research. <laughs> yeah. And as a, as an old school first person shooter gamer, I just, I was like, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about that really quick. What uh, what was the impetus behind Quake uh, Champions, and how did that come about? <laughs> I mean, it's we're not, we're not it's didn't go back that far. It's like 2017, I think. But, uh, but yeah. Did, well, uh, considering I only started making comics in 2016. That's fair. Uh, <laughs> right. So so I think that answers part of your question. Um, that's true. It, it was quite literally the first work for Higher Gig uh, yeah. that I that I did. Um, I had worked only on Black Mumba before then, uh, and I had done uh, a book called Brigands uh, at, at yes. Action Lab um, by then. Uh, but this was the first uh, work for Higher Gig that came along. Uh, it was for Titan, uh, and they were doing a, quite a few of these sort of video game-centric comics. Yeah. Um, the Titan editor got in touch and said, hey, we've got Quake. Uh, and immediately, you know, I had this kind of life flashing by except it was just my gamer life flashing by moment of like <laughs> oh yeah i remember playing arena and and I, actually more than more than that i remember playing because it's is still connected to id software um the the publisher uh i remembered playing doom right. which was like my first obsession uh in terms of video games oh, no, so kidding. yeah yeah so i was like great let's let's do it um <laughs> And it, it sounded cool because uh, originally they were like, look, we want you to, these characters don't have any any backgrounds. Right. We want you to come in and create like background stories for them. Um, and that's kind of what I was doing. Right. Um, I think issue one, we got some, I got some pushback in terms of like, no, it needs to be a lot more action because he's, uh, I think it was about a soldier. I, I forget what character it was about. Yeah. Um, and so I was just like, fine, we can we can turn it around. I literally had to turn that script around in 24 hours. So oh, no I was wow. like, okay, cool. Let's just make it a whole singular start to finish scene. action sequence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's what I did. And then by issue two, I think either they trusted me or yeah. they just went like, yeah, you know what? Let him just do whatever he wants to do. In the <laughs> There's only three uh, issues. Knock yourself out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think from there on, the world building and the and the character building kind of gets more expansive as well. It does. No, yeah. it, actually, yeah. it's funny how you you saying that really crystallizes it for me because the first issue is like essentially one drawn out fight scene, which is great. Yeah. Um, but then we like the dialogue ratchets up about like a hundred percent by issue two. Like we actually yeah. get character. I mean, there's yeah. character moments in the first issue, but like we, character development really is at the fore from the yeah. from the rest of the series onward. But I was just curious because I was like, "Nip, Quake, that's fun." It's it's so rare that you get to see a comic book, video game 
adaptation that has like that well back then that had like that level of uh you know that has like rom v writing it as opposed to like you know just here's a well, here's a doom tie-in it wasn't it wasn't like rom v writing it was right, just it wasn't capital some R, guy yeah. some guy writing quake you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, at that point in time exactly now, i, now I love that you play doom different. yeah <laughs> that's so great because i uh, i also grew up playing doom and so it's uh it's very much a connection oh yeah i've been oh, yeah. i've been a big gamer um pretty much all my life i continue really? to do it today yeah yeah um do you still play today, or do you not the yeah. games, obviously? But uh, yeah, you, I play. I play Path of Exile now, which nice. uh, is my current obsession. Um, I tend to be very. Uh, I have a very addictive personality by nature, so mm-hmm. if I get like obsessed with something, I put I put every every living minute into it. Sure. Uh, which is not great for games that are designed to do that to you. Uh huh. Um, so I spent like the better part of my life when I was studying uh, in the States, I spent it playing World of Warcraft. Oh, yeah. Um, oh. Mm-hmm. And, and now I've, I've kind of tempered myself a little bit better, a little bit more organized into like, okay, I can play Path of Exile and then I can turn it off and do right. my work. So you're not playing Baldur's Gate 3? Like you just stayed away from it? No, yeah, I have <laughs> part, of, part of my sort of uh, contract with my gamer side is that I can't do multiple games at once, so mm. I will get to it at some point. Gotcha. But um, it'll probably be after I've played Path of Exile so much that I'm like, okay, I yeah. think we can take a break now. Ron. Yeah, I uh, I'm playing um, Lethal Company right now with my friends. It's mm-hmm. very simple. I, it's not even technically like a, a fully finished game, as I understand. Right. Like the game isn't even done. But, right, uh, right. So you're so you're playing like an early release version. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Which is uh, it's still fun. I'm like I I love when a game is like very simple but has like explorative elements to it. You know, like uh, mm. almost like a Minecraft where it's like you, you think you know what this is, and then you see that someone built a full scale model of the Starship Enterprise with it, and you're like, right. that would not have occurred to me. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a lot of fun. Anyway. <laughs> Game. Yeah, I think I think I think I, I could push in the op- opposing direction in that I love games that that involve like sitting down with a spreadsheet for two hours trying to figure out what you're going to do when you log <laughs> into the game. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that 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 went away from me very quickly, and that was uh like when I played Doom and stuff. Like I know people who like drew the maps and made their own. I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. I used yeah. to make my own levels and stuff like that back in the day, but. Uh, but now I, I prefer to just go charging in and just go like, what, what, what's in this corner? Nothing. Okay. What's in this corner? <laughs> oh, my inefficient. Boy. Yeah, it is. Oh, no, it's very inefficient. But uh, but you get more Easter eggs that way. You find more stuff. Yes. Yes. You do. Go, going around those alleys that Neil Gaiman talked about. Yes, absolutely. But unfortunately, in those games, usually it's a drop off or uh, or a big monster you can't beat. But uh, yeah, yeah, but, yeah um, don't don't play Elden Ring like that. No. <laughs> oh hell no, no, no. My wife plays those games. I'm, I am not that. But uh, it's uh, I, I I meant to mention this. It's funny. I was looking at um, looking back at your Marvel work. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of symbiotes. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much it's it's all only, exclusively symbiotes. Uh, yeah, pretty Venom, much Carnage, only kind of worked stuff. with the symbiote office when yeah when I was writing for them. I mean, I didn't really work do a lot of work at Marvel for very long. No. Um, it so happened that uh, the DC exclusive came along as well. And mm-hmm. so, um, uh, and then my schedule got a little bit busier as well. So I had to pull back from some of those books, but um, largely I've only worked with two offices at Marvel 
maybe three if you count like a mini thing that I did. But uh, I worked with Will Moss um, when he was editing, I think he's still editing Thor. Um, and and I did a, a God, I forget the name of the event now. Oh, War of, the, War of the Realms. Yeah, War of the Realms. I did a War of the Realms tie-in uh, with Pascal Ferry on art. Yes. Um, which unfortunately, because of the COVID uh, printing schedule, kind of fell by the wayside. Uh, but I enjoyed working on it, and then I worked with uh, with Devin Lewis uh, at, the, at the in the symbiote office, which is I think part of the Spider Man office. Right, that's funny. I never actually thought that there would be a uh, like, in, like I was, I assumed it would be like the Spider Office, but there are right. there is a there is a symbiote division. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, there have to be. Look at the number of symbiotes there. That's have. true. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Yeah. Someone's got to keep track of them all. Yeah, it ain't gonna be me. <laughs> Uh, can you talk about um, how you got involved with Future State a little bit? Um, I think I was already working on Catwoman at that yes. point in time. Yes. Um, and so um, I remember people started talking, and I was working on Swamp Thing as well, so that yeah. those are the two Future State things I did. Exactly. Um, and I remember at the time the, the editors were talking about we're going to do a two-month line-wide thing um, that's going to jump into the future uh, and do these stories about potential futures for these characters. Um, but with the Batman, uh, with the Catwoman story, there was the caveat that it had to tie into what James was doing with Batman hmm. um, because James's Batman Future State uh, stories were kind of the, the, the flagpole that all the other stories were working towards gotcha. um and then with swamp thing uh my my remit was you could do a story set in whatever kind of future you want whether that's now or like at the end of all things oh wow um and so yeah so so that's kind of how those stories came about um i was presented with the option of like you could do these or we could have somebody else do them you come back you could continue writing the main stories uh the main the ongoing uh, stories that you're working on uh, and I said, you know, let me go back. Let me have a think if I have interesting stories to tell. And if I do, then then I would like to do them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then a week later, I went back, uh, sent in the Future State stories. The, the Catwoman one got approved. The Swamp Thing one got approved. And then a week after I'd finished the first script, the Swamp Thing one got completely turned on its head. Mm-hmm. Um and was saved at the very last moment by a by an act of uh, exceptionally quick thinking from Mike Perkins, who I have to say is probably the, I mean, of the people I know, has the most encyclopedic knowledge of DC characters. Mm. Um, like, I'll go like, ah, I need a character who has this superpower, does this, and is connected to this. Go, Mike Perkins. <laughs> oh, do you... What do you know about the the green the green meteorite? Yeah, what? there's a character like this, and he'll pick out the encyclopedia. Be like, look, there he appeared for four issues. <laughs> um, so, so what happened with the Swamp Thing stuff was we had a future state idea um, that kind of is important that it it, it ends in like a, a a global winter, if you will. Right. Um, and um, originally. That was going to be either Mr. Freeze or or Captain Cold, right. um, and 
they were like, oh, you can't do that. After I finished the first uh, issue, because they had decided to put in another event called Endless Winter. Oh, my God, and, yeah. And, and they went like, well, we can't have two winters in two, two separate events at the same time. So can you change yours to like something completely different? I'm like, no, it doesn't work. Like, it has to be winter. Um, and then Mike Perkins came up with like, well, you know, Alan Scott had a son who had the power to, do, to, to like bring this kind of eternal darkness. And technically, he could block out the sun and that would lead to a winter. So I was like, saved. I don't have to rewrite my entire first script. <laughs> yeah, right. that's amazing. <laughs> uh, it's funny. You, you know, comic books don't come with an audio commentary. So it's really fun to get like these kind of behind the scenes insights into like the development of a story that you know intimately and you think, yeah, it all worked out. Uh, Ron V wrote yeah. a script. They said it was brilliant and then they drew it. You know, it's like, no, it's, these no I, things, think... I assume they happen a lot. <laughs> They do, and I think it's part of the joy of working in comics. I mean, yeah, at the time it can be a bit stressful. At the time, I think I went back to my editor and said, "Nah, listen, I'm just gonna rewrite the whole thing. Don't have me just switch to something that doesn't work." Yeah. Um, but I think part of the, uh, you know, for every one example where where I get annoyed by it, there's also examples where I'm quite excited by it. Like, I remember when I was writing Swamp Thing. Um, the Suicide Squad movie was coming out and they were like, we need you to put Suicide Squad in Swamp Thing. Uh, <laughs> and the first time I heard that, I was like, what? Right. Suicide Squad in my Swamp? Have you read my Swamp Thing book? It doesn't really work. <laughs> yeah. um, and then I went, no, 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 no. Actually, it can work. And so I remember sending an email going like, great. My only condition is that I get to choose which members of the Suicide Squad uh, are sent over. And so I chose, I uh, very specifically remember choosing Kimo because he's such a Swamp Thing-esque character. Yeah. Um, you know, one, one of this shambling green creature and the other is this shambling chemical vat. Yeah. Um, and then uh, pick Nightmare Nurse because she had the ability to like delve into people's minds and, and she not only repair you physically, but she could repair you like mentally as well, which was an interesting concept to, to play with. Um, and then I had to have one character who was just completely out of place in all of this. So I said, cool, I'll take Peacemaker. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that works out quite nicely. Actually, I, I, that arc is one of my favorite arcs to have worked on as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a it's a great it's a celebrated run. The, the Swamp Thing yeah. um, from Infinite Frontier was one of the uh, like unexpected, uh, you know, exciting elements because, you, you know, you think, oh, they're going to pitch Swamp Thing. You're like new Swamp Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like new concept, new character. I've, yeah, it's surprisingly like I've had that on pretty much every book I've done. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, when we when we started off with Swamp Thing, people were like, this is not Alec Holland. Right. It's not my Swamp Thing. Uh, and then about four issues later, they were like, oh, actually, it's pretty good. Yeah. Great. <laughs> yep. Um, and then... I went to Carnage, and people were like, it's not Cletus Cassidy, it's not my Carnage. And then about four issues in, people were like, actually, this, this is pretty decent. I mean, we, we got like the second longest Carnage run yeah. out of it. Absolutely. Um, and then with Detective, when I started off, people were like, what is this opera stuff? Like, Batman doesn't do opera. And then about, you know, four or five issues in, people were like, actually, this is pretty good. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's a good sign. It's all they need. Oh, you just got to make sure you work under the contract. I need at least six issues. That way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give issue, it, the term. I, I think I think the correct term, I think the official term is let me cook. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> let me cook. Yes. Trust him. Yeah, the first issue is like is it's gonna upset the apple cart, but in a really exciting way. And uh, yeah, just, yeah, because it has to feel like, because because you also want people to like sit up and take pay attention, right? Yes. And if you're just doing the same thing they're they're accustomed to seeing, even though it might be comfortable, like no one gets excited when you bring in a bag of chips because yeah, oh my god, it's the same bag of chips I've been having for like, <laughs> um, but you bring in. I don't know, chicken cardon blue, or you bring in like coco van one day and right. people are like, oh, that looks exciting and interesting. I kind of want to try it. Totally. Um, so yeah, I feel like I feel like novelty is too often a, an ignored factor in stories today. I think we've been telling ourselves like, oh, all the stories are told, all the original stories are told. I hear that so often from people, mm -hmm. sometimes from like creators and I'm like, no, 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 why you don't have to be that cynical? Yeah, it's, it's not all the stories I've told. It's just people haven't looked hard enough for new stories from new places. It's true. You're um, the one of the most emblematic elements of that when we want to relate it to Batman is the resurrection of the Nightfall suit. And oh, yeah. The, yeah, the, yeah. Re the redemption. And when I say redemption, I don't mean like you know, <laughs> religious redemption, but I mean like the character redemption of, of Jean-Paul Valley. This this use of the character is one of the most exciting yeah in, yeah in decades but I mean, it also made complete sense um yeah like to be honest a lot of the redemption credit should go to dan waters who did who did that who did the Azrael series right before dan's yeah. a very good friend we talk all the time he's doing some of the backups in detective now yes so um it was very much a case of me going like oh you did something very cool with this character can I continue to use him is that cool and he was like yeah yeah go ahead yeah and so it made complete sense especially given the context that Batman as a symbol is now kind of missing and gone from Gotham in, in Detective. Yes. Uh, and so the city is in need of a reminder. Um, and often when you take away one symbol, um, part another of society, one. another one pops up, but also usually a more a violent, a more expressive version of that symbol pops up. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this kind of perception of Azrael as the more vehement, more uh, uh, um, a rabid version of Batman almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. That made complete sense to do that um, and, and use him in a way. So his, his angel is missing. And so he is out for, for some justice, if you will. Yeah. Um, the... Apropos of detective, yeah. the, when the when your detective started, um, the first thing you notice, of course, is those covers. Yeah. The uh, is it Evan Cagle? Is that how I pronounce it? Yep. Yep. Evan Cagle uh, on the covers. Um, yeah. What what was the what is the synergy between your influence and Cagle's depiction? Because essentially, <clears throat> Detective Comics is a completely different beast from what it had ever been. Like it, the book is radically different. It has a completely new aesthetic. This could be the new aesthetic for the title going forward, or it could be only the aesthetic for this run 
on the title. Yes, but I even if it is just the aesthetic for this run on the title, it's I think so it's great smart. that yeah, I think it's great that you can then go okay, ten sixty two to ten eighty nine. Right, it looks and feels like this exactly, and 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 you don't need to explain anything to people what they're likely to see inside because you have one look at those covers and you're like oh i know what kind of batman story this is <laughs> that's 100 um, correct <laughs> yeah and and i think uh part of that credit uh, at least in terms of editorial goes to jessica chen again who was on the book uh, when we started um i pitched the idea of doing this kind of operatic tragic lots of gowns and costumes and and masks take on it yeah. Uh, and she was very excited by it, and then DC Editorial were excited by it. Um, and I remember then going to her and saying, like, look, everything we do should be about that aesthetic. Everything about this should scream opera. Everything. Yeah. And not only did we, um, and to also, to also be clear, uh, originally I had pitched Evan to do one of the arcs in Detective. Um, okay. And... Um, for one reason or the other, it didn't pan out schedules, etc. But uh, Jessica was like, can we at least get him to do covers? Yeah. And Evan was like, yeah, great. What do you want me to do for the covers? And I just said, think Grand Guignol, think, think opera, think Phantom of the Opera, bring that aesthetic into the covers, because I don't think we've seen that. Yeah. Um, and pretty much that's all it took. Ever since then, Evan's kind of been nailing that aesthetic. I would say 9.9 .9 times out of 10. Yeah. 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 No, it's it immediately. It's the first thing you, you think of. It's it's it immediately distinguishes itself on the shelf and yeah. it changes your perception of like what what a Batman comic could be, what yeah. this Batman comic is in comparison to all the other Batman comics. And there's nothing to say that uh, the, you know, the current Batman run is great. This detective run is something very different. Yes. And, uh, and I think that's, that's more than anything else. Like part of when I started on the run, I, I was totally, usually detective ties into Batman. Usually yeah. detective does, um, but it doesn't have to be like that. You, you choose Right. Uh, and my instinct was to say, why have two books doing the same thing? Exactly. Why not have two books doing two different things? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, lots of credit to, to people who trusted that. But also, I think it's great to see that, you know, every time I see discussion online, obviously, there's some criticism, there's some love. But the fact that people who don't like this can go read the Batman book. And people mm -hmm. are not enjoying the Batman book can come read the detective book. Yeah. I think there's something wonderfully comics about yes. that. Um, and there are people who enjoy both. So, so I think it's the best of all three worlds. Yeah. I, uh, I remember reading, I guess it was the first issue. So it was 1062, which was, uh, but when we got to the point where Bar the Barbados reveal, mm-hmm was in the book and i'm like what a what a bold decision because of how much exposure <clears throat> barbados has gotten in the past recent past right with uh yeah yeah with, the with metal, metal yeah exactly but 
when you look back and this i think speaks to your uh your vertigo experience and i'm sure your original you know your older uh you know probably peter milligan batman uh-huh. reads and stuff like that getting barbados back to being this scary not sensational but still primordial concept yeah yeah and moving and- it into the the belief systems of this entire book it's uh yeah, and also I, I love the idea of is Barbados in the book? Right. Or is right. he just or is he just in Bruce's mind? Exactly. You know? Yeah. And and I still think it's true to even the metal concept of like this is the the id, the yeah. the inner ego of the bat entity mm-hmm. uh, manifested. Um and just that the metal thing takes it quite literally, and I say cool it, it's manifested but only within bruce's psyche yeah or is it not just within bruce's psyche you know <laughs> uh, and i think that to me is is like the the beauty of the medium the fact that you can do that the fact that you can have these contradicting versions uh or even adjacent versions of characters sitting right next to each other without it feeling like oh what the hell this is absurd Right. Um, I think that's only possible in comics. And I think, yes, there are there are the sort of sticklers for continuity who are like, well, well this is not the Barbatos. But I would say, and my favorite line to, to, to use is like modern, modern day mythology. I think mm-hmm. that's what comics are. Comics are modern day mythology. And I challenge you to show me one well-developed world mythology that exists without absolutely absurd contradiction showing up yeah like you know like oh poseidon is zeus's brother but also in some other cases he is zeus's father but also <laughs> in some what yeah okay um uh, but we yeah, that accept is, that we accept that, is that. So, yeah that is so mythology slash religion where it's like yeah yes. there's contradictory elements and people take it literally <laughs> yeah um and and i think i think comic books are really the contemporary equivalent of that of 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 mythology being written and i think people should treat these things with that kind of childlike fascination of like how amazing that yeah. we get you know these weird versions of barbatos one after the other how amazing that one of them is this kind of big bombastic space dimension hopping dragon creature yeah and the other one is a is a big red bat dressed in a gown you know yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> No, it's great. It's it's. I mean, it it takes uh every element of like the antagonist in in religion. It takes like the, you know, Hades versus. It's 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 everything. Um, I love uh how you've said before, and you mentioned it in this episode. The uh, the run is ending at ten eighty nine. Yeah. Um, so you've deliberately structured it to be a three act structure of, you know, a- a- apropos of uh, of a stage play or an opera, which I think yeah. is you know. Well done. <laughs> yeah. uh, what did you work everything you wanted to into this? Because I mean, I'm sure if you were at 1081 and you went, ah, I kind of could use about four or five, you know, I could use about 10 or 11 more issues. <laughs> you know what I mean? They probably just let you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. But but also in everything. Yeah. But, but also like, it's only possible to do some of the things that this run has done. Yeah. If you know exactly where things fit. Um, 
from, from right from the beginning, right? Yeah. So like, we did some stuff with Mr. Freeze, and people assume like I've seen reviews assume like, oh man, that's a plot thread that was just left. I'm like, no, it's not left. I've got till 1089. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's only possible if you know where things are going and you can map far enough ahead to where you can go like, cool, I can leave this here so that when it does come back, people are going to go, oh, I forgot that it happened and now it's back and that's cool. Because I love stuff like that. Um, yeah. The best example I pick up, I think, I think it's in one of the Invincible uh, run uh, books where one of the characters get like gets like tossed into the air yes. in, in, in some issue and then some 20 issues later, he falls back down and people have totally forgotten who the hell that was. And they go, oh, wait, of course, yes, that happened. That's such a beautiful, wonderful, very cool thing that you can do only in episodic storytelling. 100%. But also, it's only something you can do if you plan ahead for it. So, And I love that we talked earlier about how you love video games where you have to have like graph paper and you have to plan ahead and how it's like it all informs yeah. everything. Yeah. Like this is this is this is how you approach story. Yeah, and also like I am by profession a chemical engineer, so there is always an engineering aspect to certainly my plots. Sure. Um, but I'm I've also learned to go like cool, I've got my spreadsheet. Now I, I can ignore it and, and right. do what I'm do what I'm doing. But it's always there. Like sometimes you can follow a thread and you can get a little bit lost. Yeah. You're like, wait, what, what was going to happen next again? And all I have to do is turn and look at my my you know my outline and go, exactly. okay, cool. This is where I am. I know what's I know what's where to go from here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that's very useful. I think the engineer, like I wouldn't be. You can't tell high stories if you can't plan ahead. Big time. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Uh, I have to ask about uh, Aquaman Andromeda really quick, just because um, it's such a it's such a oddity. Like mm. it just it can't it comes out of nowhere, and I'm wondering where did that come from for you? Were you like, ooh, you know, I got a black I, I got an Aquaman story, or oh, I really want to play with the black label format, or some combination thereof? Yeah, I think it was from uh, the black label editors coming to me and going like, hey. Do you have a take on an existing DC character that is just off, not off there. from uh, you know out of left field? It's not. We don't want the regular comics that you would expect to see in the mainline continuity. Mm -hmm. We want something different. We want something weird. And I said, yes. I don't think anyone has done underwater uh, uh, sort of cosmic horror with Aquaman. Right. Um, Aquaman, to to my reading, has always been this kind of underwater sword and sorcery or fantasy kind of book yes. even though he's a superhero and i think that's part of where part of his incongruency comes in because like, it's superhero but it also has like sword fights and kings and swashbuckling um which is very cool um yeah. i just felt like yeah but no one's done the fact that we know less of what's underneath the water than we know about space yes like no yeah. one's done anything with that and i kind of said cool, I want to do this, but also I want to pay homage to all the sort of late 80s uh, underwater sci-fi sort of uh, slash space exploration cosmic horror sci-fi films that I loved. So there's bits and pieces of Event Horizon in it. There's bits and pieces of uh, um, The Sphere and The Abyss. 
I got uh, the sphere in there. I, when I was reading yeah. it, I was like, oh, this guy read the sphere <laughs> or yeah, saw yeah. it, depending uh, yeah. either way. I I read and saw the sphere and I could tell you, I don't know if there's <laughs> I don't know what is a better experience. I'm kind of like, yeah, you could just watch the movie. I think you don't need to. Yeah, watch. yeah. I mean, I, I've read I've read Crichton before and I think I prefer to I, I like his stories, but I think I prefer them as films rather 100%. than 100 percent reading the book so yeah um yeah 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 (laughs) so that's kind of where that idea was born from and then also i think we did this kind of drastic redesign of what that aquaman would look like yes Uh, and the idea was going to be also that this is a story about first contact right uh in in a lot of ways yeah but when when i say that people assume like oh yeah of course he's talking about the aliens under the water Right. No, it's it's no. also first contact with Aquaman. Yeah. Like this is a story of human beings running into this mythical creature and absolutely not knowing how it functions or how to engage with it. So on some level the story is also saying like you will never understand Aquaman outside of the fact that you can relate to him because he looks human. Yes. Uh, and then if you read the story with that context, you also realize that's Aquaman's struggle. He doesn't understand how to, who he is or what he is because there's a part of him that will always be the lighthouse keeper's son on an island. And there's another part of him that has like power over the oceans and is, is a demigod, if you will. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so those were kind of my thematic obsessions going into the book. Did you ever read the, uh, the Aquaman uh posner series from 86 because it reminds me of that it's a it's a it was uh the post-crisis attempt at like contextualizing aquaman and they and posner's like i'm gonna make him like directly connected with like warrior or warlord and like the 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 lords of order and chaos and all this stuff Mm -hmm. like and also but also like really grounded in celtic mythology for some reason but it really went with like that whole thing and i was like oh man because there's the blue in it that's where he gets that blue suit that like right right right. and uh but it's it's funny how how rarely people go let's go full myth with aquaman yeah as opposed to let's just try to make him relatable or you know or cool (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and I feel like I feel like if if everyone's relatable and cool, then you're kind <laughs> of you're kind of homogenizing who these characters are. 100%. Like how's how's Aquaman different from like Batman or Green Green Arrow or or any of these other characters at that point? What's yep. what makes him unique? And I feel like I feel like superhero universes would feel much bigger and much more expansive. Yeah. If characters were truly allowed to be distinct and unique and and kind of contend with their oddities rather than try to shave away the oddities and make them all sort of appropriate and acceptable and 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 good. Mm-hmm. Nice. Even, yeah. even more ubiquitous word. They're all nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all get along and everybody's great and there's no conflict. Um Ron, this has been great, man. I want to thank you so much for being here. Uh, there's Pleasure. so much more we could probably talk about, but uh, let's let's leave them wanting more. But before we do, uh, there is more. Uh, obviously, Detective is still going until 89, so make sure to pre-order your books. Uh, and speaking of pre-order, there's a FOC for two series that are coming out for you. Uh, Dawn Runner from Dark Horse. Yep. With uh, Evan Cagle, which is a 
mecha awesome. mecha kaiju ghost story romance set across a whole century Ugh. uh my wife is going to read the hell out of this book. It looks like Evangelion. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for the cross pitch, I would say it's probably Evangelion meets Arrival. Oh, my God. All right. Yeah, that's sold. <laughs> sold at least two more copies. And uh, the other one's uh, One Hand and Six, pink, six Fingers? Yep, uh, which is a neo-noir uh, uh, or neon-noir, if, if you like. <laughs> Um, crime story told in two parts. Um, one part is me telling the story of a, of a detective uh, who on the day of his retirement discovers that a serial killer he thought he put away twice before, like the same kinds of murders have started to happen again. So ah. he gets sucked back in. Uh, and then The Six Fingers, which is being written by Dan Waters with art by Sameet Kumar, um, Dan tells the story of a young archaeology student uh, with a missing father, and he's been looking for his father, uh, and he's been having these blackouts, and then he wakes up one day and realizes he might have murdered someone in this extremely weird ritualistic fashion when he had this blackout, and that thread kind of is followed in those books, and you're meant to read both books uh, in tandem, oh, cool. and then when you do, you get a third story that exists between the two books which might be sci-fi horror. Uh, so yeah, uh, the, the idea is that it's a mystery in every way and you're supposed yeah. to put the pieces together, if you will. Wow. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, very excited about that. Uh, the, the one hand is out in February uh, and then is on FOC Jan 15th. So yeah, please do pre-order. Um, and then the Six Fingers, I believe, is out also in February and should be on pre-order shortly after that. Awesome. Well, uh, get out your spreadsheets, folks, because that one you're going to need to make the, <laughs> to, to track all the uh, all, all the all the S elements. I, I, get, I guarantee you, someone's going to have all the clues listed. Well, They're don't bring publish it. them on Reddit, folks. <laughs> At least make people do the work. <laughs> But uh, Ron, thank you so much for being here, man, and thank you Pleasure. everybody for thank watching. You for having me. Uh, oh, uh, what's uh, if if everybody wants to get everything Rom V, what is the website or uh, link they should go to specifically? Like, what's the yeah? Website? My website's rom-v.com, um, and in terms of where I'm most active, I'm most active on Twitter, but I don't know for how long, considering the state of that place. But uh -huh. yeah, we'll see. Excellent. All right, man. Thanks for being here. So long, everybody. Thanks a lot for watching. Cheers.